Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Bill Grable on the Rider Flex podcast. Hi, Bill. How are you? Hello, Steve. I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me today. It's an honor. You got an interesting story, uh, obviously. Uh, love the whole family story, the business story. Love all of it. Uh, anxious to get into, you know, uh, the whole uh, business aspect. But before we do that, uh, how about just Bill the person? I want to know, you know, uh, you know, Married kids, grandkids, uh, you know, all uh, give me give me some personal stuff if you don't mind. Sure. Um, well, I'm married for the last 33 years uh, to wow. the same woman and nice. uh, have two sons. Uh, one's 30 years old, just turned 30 about a week ago, and the other um, is 28. And uh, and I just learned last night that I'm soon to be a grandfather. Oh. So that's a pretty exciting uh, moment in time, if you will. Oh, wow. Um, now, how did they how did they tell you? How did you find out? A little phone call or did they come over? Uh, both our sons came over and um, it was a surprise cool. for us. The, the two brothers had shared the news, but it was a surprise to my wife and I. And so it was all ostensibly uh, them bringing over some Thai food. And we all watching uh, Monday night football last night. And uh, so, you know, when dinner was over, um, yeah, my older son um, kind of gave us this little box and it had a golf ball on it. And and uh and then there was like a little logo um you know like grable baby may 2022 and it was like oh wow oh cool cool ah very good all right that's great did your wife tear up a little bit is she super happy (laughs) oh no doubt no doubt obviously those are big moments uh you know I'm, i'm sure for every family and and for us it was um i don't know very validating and exciting and Cool. Um, you know, it's and, and another part you asked about me, you know, I turned 60 this year and and I suppose, you know, that's a natural part of your timeline that, you know, you kind of take stock on where you've been and what you went through and where you find yourself. And then, you know, for me, it it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, 20 years of like hopeful relevance, mobility, um, energy. And, you know, those <laughs> things weren't necessarily seemed to have an expiration date in all the other, you know, years and birthdays you celebrate. But when you hit 60, it's like, you know, geez, if I can get a good 20 years of maintaining, you know, energy and activity and relevance and, you know, your, your mental competencies, um, that'll be a good run and a good life. Well, you've had a great life already. But, yeah, if you get another 20 years in, I mean, hey. That's that's icing on the cake, right? <laughs> yeah. So, isn't and that, that interesting? Basically, kind of speaks to you know the mentality of um, you know embrace each day and the goodness that it represents yes. and the opportunities ahead of you and nothing stays the same forever. And um, so, to you know whether to remain curious or be a lifelong learner, um, you know there's there's no taking your foot off the gas in the game of life, let alone running a business. You know, I mean, things are, there's there so many converging forces of change mm-hmm. that if you don't embrace them, even, you know, intellectually and curiously, suddenly your relevance is, is going to wane. And then eventually <laughs> your own children probably don't even want to pay attention to it because you can't even talk in relevant terms of what's going on in contemporary times. So, um, 
it is interesting as you get older how uh, I'm, I'll be 54. I am 54. And uh, you're right, the whole mobility and energy and, uh, you know, I never thought about it when I was younger. I mean, I was just, I could work 19 hour days. I could just, you know, I could just go forever. Uh, and I can still outpace most 54 year olds, but I definitely don't, I definitely don't have the juice I had when I was 34. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And even mobility, same thing, right? I wake up in the morning and I'm like, okay, let me, uh, oh man. Yeah. 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 Uh, But, um, it is nice to, I I am like you, I do, I kind of, I, you know, I give thanks every single day. I'm like, okay, you know, cool. I get to live. I get to be here another day. Let's see what we can do. So uh, it's a blessing as you get older, just every every day you get to be alive. So I get it. Yeah, and in so many ways, Steve, you know, we're fortunate. I think a lot of people often um, don't uh, take stock of the fact how fortunate we are to be, you know, U.S. citizens. And, right. uh, <laughs> you know, frankly, the opportunity and privileges a U.S. passport provide you in comparison to you know, most residents of other nations. And, um, and then even going further, the, you know, the respect for the civility and the sacrifices that have made this such a great country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of, again, forces that are maybe unsettling with respect to the future of America, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it gets hyper politicized and polarized and all of that. But Man, it's the good people of America that make America. <laughs> it's not the politicians. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and each and every one of us, I think, have a duty to to do our best to, um, you know, old notion of leave it better than you found it, right? And we've all been the beneficiaries of others' hard work that came before us. And, yes, you know, our, I don't know, duty, if you will, is to, you know, keep chipping away at making... Um, this a better society, a safer society, a, a, a cleaner society in the sense of, you know, we got some environmental issues to deal with mm-hmm. um, that we have a duty, in my opinion, to, to act on and, and be catalysts for. Um, so anyway, there's a lot to be excited about on any given day. I always, anytime I meet somebody, especially a younger person that uh, is complaining to me about, uh, you know, living in, about America or whatever, I, my first question is, have you ever been to a third world country? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever, have you ever traveled outside of Colorado? <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, we got a pretty, we got a pretty good here. <laughs> Just so you know. Yeah, no <laughs> couldn't, question. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Yeah. I'm all about leaving it, leaving it uh, a better place than, than, than we found it because yeah, we're not here forever. And I want to, want to do everything I can to uh, make it a better place for people too. And I think most people feel that way. Right. I mean, you know, you look at you look at social media, you, you would think that everybody's an asshole and everybody's pissed off all the time and this and that. But really, it's in real life. Like, all you got to do is just go to the grocery store, talk to regular people, go to the park, you know, take a hike, meet somebody on the trail. Actually, most people are inherently good people and nice to each other and pleasant you know, yeah. just real life is much different than what you're seeing on your phone. <laughs> That's very true. And, and balancing that sets of stimuli between real person engagement and observations versus, you know, kind of the anonymous um, chatter that, that exists out on social platforms. Um, you know, there's a bit of mythology out there. There's a bit of fiction out there. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think, people are becoming more and more scrutinous of the credibility and, and authenticity of the messaging they're receiving from, from all channels, right? I mean, we're, we're yep. multi-channel yep. recipients and respondents these days, but um, and it's been interesting, you know, kind of getting back together again in, in small groups, you know, since the pandemic began and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of re-socializing and re-social skilling ourselves in a way, <laughs> um, uh, you know, that human connection certainly has been a missing link for, for many folks over the last 18 months or more. Yes, and yes. it's nice to uh, kind of just get that uh, physical proximity with folks. Oh, again, it's wonderful. The validation and affirmation of, of goodness and fondness and um, oh. alignment and things like that. Yes. Yes. I mean, we are, uh, you know, 
uh, we're, we're social creatures, right? I mean, we want to be around each other. You know, we went to dinner uh, with a client last week. We went to dinner. In fact, tonight we're going to dinner in, in Denver with a client. And, uh, you know, just it's just even last week, I was telling my co-founder, Scott, I said, isn't it just so wonderful to just be out with people and be at dinner? Like, it's so great. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. You know, we just want to be around each other. We, we actually weren't meant to live in caves. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, anyway, so I want to ask you, so what was it like growing up in, in a family business where, at a very early age, whatever you were, I don't know, 11, 12, whenever you, whenever you started unloading trucks, <laughs> what was it like growing up, you know, with your dad owning a business and, and working for him as a kid? Talk to me about it a little bit. Well, at the time, it's the only thing, you know, and what, what we right. knew and observed was that we were a small, humble Midwest family business that was built around uh, service and doing so in the, um, you know, the sanctuary of people's homes, right? So it's an interesting, and <clears throat> excuse me, invasive service. Mm, I you actually of it, come right? into somebody's homes and you're handling all of their possessions and you're seeing how people live. And, you know, there are neat freaks in this world and there are slobs and there are, <laughs> you know, mean-spirited people um, and there are just lovely people. And, you know, every day that you would... Um, Go to a residence when you ring the doorbell it's like a blind date each day you know you, you have some background on the people but in terms of how you're greeted and how you know it's two-way street how you make them feel and how they make you feel and and then you know regardless uh everybody's stuff is important and valuable to them so regardless of what your own individual reaction might be about them and the condition of their house and you know, the quality or lack thereof, the things that they're, they're moving. Um, the performance standard is really the same, you know? Mm. So mm. what was it like? Didn't know any different, you know, was uh, a worker, wanted to be a good teammate um, at an age appropriate level. I was advancing into different, you know, skill sets originally started out in garages and basements and putting things in boxes that couldn't be broken. Uh, and then carrying them out uh, from the basement <laughs> or the garage to the truck. Uh, but, you know, by the time I was 16, I already then was a driver and a crew chief. And, and then uh, as I completed uh, college, I had worked all the summers through college as a driver, driving throughout the Midwest. And then, if you will, I got an office job after I graduated college. And, um, you know, basically initially around uh, recruiting, developing and training crew members to do, you know, that, that job I was familiar with, which is packing and loading and, and storing items in warehouses. So, you know, it was just, I don't know, just a natural progression that seemed absolutely normal. And as time went on, you know, the reach of our organization opening in new um, cities and uh, the scale of it becoming larger, um, you know, along the way, I just had a lot of great mentors who were humble, hungry, and smart that wanted to better their careers. And, you know, our company was providing a platform for that. So, you know, I saw many drivers, you know, come up through the ranks as they got older uh, to come in and become dispatchers, mm. operations managers, or safety managers, or, you know, things of that nature. And, and then some of the enterprising ones would cross over and get into business development or customer service. And, you know, after maybe six to eight years in the office, having come off the trucks, could get promoted into being general managers of a, of a given, you know, city. Um, so I, it wasn't any brilliant revelation or anything like that. It was, um, like I said earlier, staying curious and staying focused on uh, customer needs and recognizing that there is only one standard of service, you know, and that's um, excellence and, and to do your best regardless of the quality or the size or the, the nature of somebody's move or, you know, whether they were a single person, a married person, an old person, a young person, you know, you went in and you just had a duty of care and a craftsmanship that um, it was expected to be consistently applied. 
Did you uh, did you feel people treating you different? Could you tell that the other employees were sometimes nervous around you or treated you differently or treated you, quote, with kid gloves because your dad was was captain? Could you feel that at all when you were younger? No, but I recognize that could be a, a situation, but I could take control of that. And uh, so how I took control of that, I just out hustled, out worked, out uh, demonstrated curiosity and study and asking, how does this work? And, oh, I get it now. Or, you know, back in those days, too, I was um, an athlete, you know, through high school, played three sports and then later on more focused on ski racing um, as I went to college. And so what I loved about it is I was getting paid to do physical work and you uh-huh. know, it was like an added bonus to not just have to go to the gym or, you know, run three miles or whatever a day. I, I could still do that, but you know, eight hours a day lifting and walking and carrying and, and so forth. Um, I just felt, gosh, I have a little bit of a, an advantage here and that I'm getting paid to do something I love. And in the That's process cool. of doing that, you know, I can demonstrate what my work ethic is. I can demonstrate my, you know, level of engagement um, with the business. So I guess to answer your question, Steve, you know, I, I recognized it early on, but I kind of took control of then okay. saying, I don't ever want to be, you know, uh, treated with kid gloves just because I'm a, a, a family member or otherwise, you know, I can skate on making mistakes or I can, you know, show up late or, you know, there's not going to be a double standard here, I guess, was what I said to myself back in those days and, and just said, you know, I'll earn the respect of people by my actions and not my birth certificate. (laughs) And was your dad uh, a tough guy? Was he, was he pretty um, demanding strict or was he, was he uh, more of a softy? Like what was his style? Hmm. Uh, a driven entrepreneur okay. and a lovely family man and father and husband that I think was a great role model in terms of demonstrating, if you will, work-life balance or work-life integration. So okay. Okay. fierce competitor, um, uh, an industry pioneer and innovator in, in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, and, and that was all compartmentalized in, in the sense that, you know, he had a job to do. He took his job um, very seriously. He, he saw the big picture. He realized there were gaps that the industry was not necessarily, um, you know, addressing with, with real effectiveness. And, you know, he ran toward those gaps to try to figure out solutions, right? And so that was a great role model with respect to curiosity and purpose and, and applied energy and no wasted effort and, you know, things of that nature. But in the home context, um, you know, he wanted nothing but to uh, have fun with his sons and to be a good husband and, you know, teaching us things with respect to you know, whatever the outdoors or, um, uh, sports and, and all of that. So, well, the re- reason I ask, cause a lot of guys, I'm guessing your dad was born in uh, the late twenties or early thirties or something like that. Correct. Um, most of those guys born in that era right there, they were, uh, they were, they were pretty, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know if stern is the right word, but pretty, they were pretty, pretty tough demanding usually uh guys uh, back then right um you know maybe pass out a hug every once in a while but not a ton of them <laughs> yeah well you know certainly a lot of that i think came from um you know how many young men then became older men but had service experience in the military yep. right and yep. the commanding yep. control yep. structures and the hierarchies and and all of that um yeah and, and certainly you know, he understood the need for discipline and clarity. By discipline, I don't mean like consequences. I mean by like having structure and clarity and okay. process yeah. um, defined. But, you know, his, 
This mentality was to never to control anybody, but to create an environment where the want to and everybody came out. Ooh. Right. And that's a whole right. different leadership style yes. than command and control. Um, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so again, by osmosis, before you ever know that's a thing, that's all I'm exposed to. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you might say, you know, my whole leadership style, whether it's, you know, it has nothing to do with what number are you on the org chart. Um, mm-hmm. It has everything to do that. If, if you have a responsibility for either collaboration with other peers or right. otherwise supervising and being accountable for the efforts of others, um, you know, just I guess what I was exposed to is the notion is it's up to the leader to create the environment mm-hmm. and it's up to the leader through their actions and behaviors to be truly in the eyes of others, a leader worth following. Mm, mm. you know so those kind of mantras and messages they it was just like oxygen it was around me constantly there wasn't a big fanfare about it it was easy to observe great Um, great you and your brother both you and your you had one brother yes and you and your brother both worked for the company coming up and your brother was older than you and he was uh president for a little while i think i think he may may have passed away i think i read that in the the press Uh, but uh Um, so, so, so at one point your brother was your quote boss. <laughs> yes. How'd that go? How'd that work? <laughs> you know, um, generally fine. You know, the, you know, there was about a five and a half year gap between us. Um, yeah. in, yeah. in some ways as a brother, forget a boss as a brother, he was awesome. Okay. You know, and I, I came through the school of hard knocks, you know, he was very welcoming for me to play basketball or, or football in the backyard with his friends. And I got my nose bloodied plenty of times. And you know, <laughs> I got, I got knocked down under the basketball hoop plenty of times, but, um, you know, I'm really thankful for him, including me and giving me that sense of, um, I guess you would just say, you know, toughness of if you get knocked down, get back up. If you're going to actually be wanting to play the games, because, you know, you're going to get knocked down just because you're, you're younger or smaller. doesn't matter. Um, yep. Yep. And uh, so then flipping it over to when uh, we were both working and working together and, and um, for a time him supervising me. Um, you know, it's, it's nothing fancy, Steve. The, the whole notion is about mutuality. He wanted nothing more than for me to be effective in what I was assigned to do. He was there for me if I didn't understand or, you know, nobody's perfect. And so there would be times where he'd be like, hey, son, come here. Next <laughs> time you get this situation, you know, try this or, or don't do that. Um, so, you know, and we never really had what I would call a power struggle because I never envisioned myself as being, you know, whether intellectually or experientially superior um, to Okay. Him. Did you and, guys, any, any fun Thanksgiving dinner stories where you and your brother and your dad are like, had a food fight or anything? Get anything cool to share with us? <laughs> uh, I can't say really on, on the conflict side of things i can tell you all sorts of war stories about solving service challenges when Mm. people are in the midst of their relocation over you know thanksgiving or thanksgiving weekend or christmas or christmas eve or that window between christmas and new year's um you know there there would be times whether it's weather related snowstorms or crew members just saying screw it you know, I have a family too, and I'm going to spend time with my family. And I know I gave my obligation to, you know, deliver this shipment on Christmas Eve, but um, no, it's going to happen the day after Christmas. Hey, yeah. The trucks, the truck is at the loves, the loves parking lot. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it may seem strange, but um, you know, we didn't have necessarily okay. a, a lot of conflict that way, but you know, you know, it was sometimes dreadful when the phone would ring at like 8 p.m. on a holiday. And then you realize, wow, this is a big escalation of something mm. going not so well. And yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Now, how about your you have a son in the business? I have two sons in the business. 
you have two sons in the business. You have two sons in the business, and both of them are working. Um, what's the age gap? They're only about 15 months apart. So my older son just turned 30 last week. My younger yeah. son turns 29 in February. Yeah. Um, our older son works in our digital marketing um, and business development group, which is, okay. a, a, you know, obviously a new frontier for just about every business. And it's something that, you know, he's not doing a job that somebody else has previously done in our organization. So oh. there's a lot of white canvas for him to paint out there. And, okay. um, and it's a vast it's a vast discipline that you know you, you well any organization needs to grow into and figure out how to master and then once you think you got it um you know the algorithm shift or the user experience bar elevates or you know the speed of responsiveness is um you know whatever uh, intensified yeah. our younger son works in our supplier development group which um uh, basically he's a category manager for, um, all of the North American continent household good providers that perform import or export moving services. So mm. the, the, the literal moving companies, and many of them used to be our competitors. And now there are partners, um, that we represent a large customer to them as we aggregate all the other corporate clients that we have. And then we have the responsibility for orchestrating the multiple services that go into um, when a family is relocated. So beyond the move, you know, it could be buying and selling a home, arranging a mortgage, uh, pet transportation, if it's an overseas move, uh, visas and work permits and language training or cross-cultural training or um, area orientation at destination. So depending on the individual and the nature of their assignment and the twos and the froms, um, on any given relocation, there might be 25 different services that we kind of orchestrate into a, you know, kind of a symphony of experience that mm. some come before of some are occurring simultaneously. Um, but long story short, our, our younger son manages the, uh, the household goods service stream for the international import or export services uh, related to North America. The fact that you have both of your sons working for you in the business is, is a success story in and of itself, not just because they're your sons and they're, they're working for you, but not their third generation. Right. I mean, I don't know what the stats are. I don't know. I don't know the exact stats, but if, if, if your sons end up taking over the business, third generation, that, that is a tiny uh, percentage of companies that actually successfully make it that many jumps down, right? I mean, so often it just, yeah. it, it crashes from first generation to second generation. And then to make it to the third generation, yeah, that, that, is, a, that is a small, tiny group of, of, of companies. So uh, yeah. congr congratulations on keeping the, the family unit together uh not only working in the business but i mean you just told me both sons were over to celebrate the fact that you were going to be a grandparent which means your relationship with them is obviously still wonderful and I, the reason i'm pointing that out is because i know so many family owned business situations that are just messier than hell and just you know bad relationships and just all kinds of just bad stuff. And so for you to share that means that yeah. you've, you know, you've, you've balanced the personal relationship with the business, which is super hard to do. It's hard to do. Yeah. Well, you're right. There's a lot of mortality, certainly. Uh, it accelerates second to third generation in, in businesses and you know, any number of things it can be contentment. It can be yeah. distrust. It can be, yes. you know, you, you lose your competitive advantages because you've been content where you've been operating previously. I mean, so yes. there's any number of forces. Yep. Um, I also have a niece uh, that works in the business. So my uh -huh. brother's oldest um, child, uh, okay. she also works in our client implementation group. So, wow. Okay. Um, and, you know, I give credit to those kids. Um, you know, they kind of understood the same, you know, if you will, uh, 
reality that I did as a kid. You know, everybody's looking at you and seeing, you know, are they the real deal? Are they working a full yes. day? Are they really passionate yeah. about the business? <laughs> are they pulling their weight? And, yep. you know, they've all come to grips with that and they're star performers and every team that um, they're a part of, you know, unsolicited, the managers and other team members, you know, just cycle back to me and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, you've really raised good kids here. And you know what? I give my mom and dad the credit. They set the example. They taught us the principles that's cascaded down obviously. And I'm sure that, you know, now my two boys and my niece, um, are rendering that in today's, you know, kind of contemporary way and, and connecting with um, co-workers in, in probably a similar fashion that I did back in the day. And, mm. you know, it's, it's just pretty basic stuff, Steve. It's being transparent. Um, part of it is, is being honest with yourself so you can be honest with others, right? Mm. Um, there's no way you can be honest with others if you first are not honest with yourself. And so I think Certainly every family can have better communications between generations, but, you know, I think we've all had a mindset of we're working for each other. We're working for those who follow us. So, you know, I think that's where family businesses can get a little bit sideways is that, if you will, there's a certain entitlement to take more value or equity out of the business. Mm -hmm. Um prior to having a contribution value, right? Mm-hmm. Bingo. And so the, maybe the difference that uniquely we've been able to just organically or intuitively craft is that um, in a sense, we're fortunate from where we find ourselves, but we realize we have a duty to not stand pat, to not... Um, you know, consume the resources of the business so we can't reinvest in the future and that we're intrigued and curious about, you know, what's the customer tomorrow going to look like and what are we doing today to ready ourselves to be ever more valuable and relevant and, um, if you will, market dominant in serving that customer of tomorrow. And that's, that's, that's just an orientation. And, and if, if you can get on that orientation, there are a lot of positive energy drivers then that um, I suppose you would say govern your, your actions and behaviors and then people take notice and, you know, it's kind of monkey see monkey do after a while. If they see ownership behaving this way, then that just kind of cascades down through the org. So many good things you said right there for the listeners to learn from that. I want to highlight three points there out of that, that speech. Um, you know, yeah, taking equity, quote, equity of some kind out of the business before the contribution. That is a, I've never heard it actually put exactly that way. And man, that is such a great point because that is a major problem. And when, when second or third generation comes in and they want to, they want to take, so to speak, before they give, (laughs) it creates problems. I think that is a wonderful point. The other thing you mentioned is eyes on family members, uh, employee eyes on family members. Like it or not, bottom line is, if you're a family member, everybody's watching you. Everybody's watching you. They're watching what time you get there. They're watching what time you leave. They're watching your contribution. They're watching your every movement. And the fact that you've coached the family members to, to understand that and how important it is, is, is really critical. Well, um, it, can either, you know, it can either be an oppressive force or it can be an invigorating force. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and frankly, I think it's an invigorating force if you bring this is maybe a, a weird juxtaposition but a humble self-confidence mm. to to the yes. equation right yes um, yep. you can be humbly confident self-confident and that turns people off right but if you have like a humble self-confidence um uh, I, I think that's uh, i don't know whatever you want to call it an energy magnet for people agreed agreed um i had a navy seal tell me one time his term, his terminology was humbly confident. Uh, and I thought, I thought that was a great one. Uh, the other, the, the third piece I just wanted to mention there of what you were talking about was the whole, uh, the, the, the uh, overly content factor. I think that's another major reason for failure in second or third generation is because 
once a little bit of money is made, you know, once, once there's a, once there's a little bit of cushion there, second and third generation, they just, they just become content, right? They just, they're like, ah, well, you know, got a little money in the bank. We've got a couple of homes, this, that, whatever. And they just don't, they just, they don't have the same tenacity to want to keep it going to work hard. And I think that's another reason that family businesses fail in the second or third generation. So the fact that you touched on all three of those is, was wonderful. Um, you know, experientially, awesome. Steve, part of that outlook is just a function of, um, you know, we're a 71 year old business today. Yeah. Um, but we've kind of reinvented ourselves five times over that 71 years. And I personally have been involved with four of those iterations or iterative notions. And, you know, what's, what's really interesting, and this is totally random and coincidental, but each iteration of the company has, um, each successor has had a half-life of its predecessor. So to give you what I'm, okay. out of the 71 years, the first 33 years of our company, we're really pretty much in the same vein, but just growing scope in terms of the number of markets that we entered into. Okay. Um, so then, then we made a change and disrupted ourselves. And rather than being an agent for Allied Van Lines, we launched our own van line to compete against Allied Van Lines. So that, that was a major, that's a, that was a major move right there. That was a big move. Immediately <laughs> within a matter of 90 days, probably 40 to 50% of our business evaporated. And so <laughs> right when you're ramping up to expand locations and buy more equipment, 40% of your revenue stream contracts and, so that created a certain amount of. Um, what year was that? What do you remember? That would have yeah. been in '83. So <laughs> from 1950 to 1983, we were operating inside the Allied Van Lines network yeah. as a franchisee yeah. and just expanding franchise locations. And a combination of things, uh, bylaws that said you can only have this many franchises under the uh, Allied Van Line umbrella. Well. Okay. And an intersection of President Reagan deregulating all forms of transportation. And so what that really meant is if we wanted to take the risk, we could go out and get an operating permit to then be a 48 state uh, carrier. Did you get to be in the meeting when you, when your dad called Allied and, Allied and said, hey, by the way, we're doing this on our own. See ya. Did you get to be on that meeting? <laughs> uh uh, I wasn't there for the phone call, but I was certainly, um, yeah. he would bring our managers into the house and like have management meetings. And of course I'd That's be cool. sitting in the other room and kind of yeah. leaning in. <laughs> I love it. So, love it. You know, I yeah. think by design, you know, I think he allowed us to, to just, if we That's wanted great. to be in earshot, we could. Um, yeah. So anyway, you know, my point is, is that, you know, we had a 33-year focus, we had a 16-year focus, we had an eight-year focus, um, and then, you know, really in the last 15 or uh, last eight years, we've had two incremental focuses to where we find ourselves today. And, you know, where we find ourselves today is a global organization, about 300 people working outside the U.S., 600 wow. people in the U.S., yeah. um, you know, we're, we're almost kind of becoming a technology company that specializes in relocation and customer service. So kind of that intersection of high tech and high touch. Are and you selling, are you selling some software, some patented or some software that you've developed of some kind for transportation or reload? We are selling it per se as a standalone product, but to okay. do what we do to manage, you know, large fortune 500 programs mm -hmm. um, and then integrate and aggregate all these different services downstream that a transferee might need. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of tech to orchestrate, you know, all the supplier segments in 165 countries around the world mm -hmm. and to automate as much of that as possible and you know encrypt what you need and to keep secure mm -hmm. um, and comply with the GDPR laws and data you know residency right. laws yes gosh you know that <laughs> is all just like new greenfield <laughs> areas of responsibility and accountability right but it's right. largely tech enabled and mm -hmm. then if you pivot over to the client side you know the 
person that would be our boss at XYZ or ABC Corporation, you know, there's all sorts of data information that we need to surface and, and run through analytics and, and determine, you know, the design of their programs for whatever outcome they want. Do they want more cost efficacy, mm -hmm. meaning mm. an ability through the data to see how they could spend um, more or less on one service or another in gotcha. order to affect the ultimate uh, outcome they desire, you know, mm -hmm. and, and so different companies and different industries have different outcomes they desire in terms of the metrics that then about the program get elevated inside those organizations and played back to business unit leaders, to chief financial officers, and all of them are to say, well, what's the return on investment when oh, yeah. we choose to relocate somebody? How do we know <laughs> that, you know, the client has made a smart decision choosing Steve to relocate to Beijing right. with this kind of package? And how does that impact his you know, own personal performance metrics and or how does it uh, penetrate the teams that Steve is overseeing and does their performance improve, right? Yep. Some yep. companies are really precise about that. Others are just saying, hey, demonstrate to me, you can save me 2% over the prior, <laughs> you know, yeah. entity we had managing this program. And, and other employers are all about, look, at the margin, we know this costs us something, but whatever you do, do not um, make a purchase decision, if you will, on our behalf that could compromise the employee's experience. Mm. That employee's experience is so important to us. We want the thing to run as smooth as butter and have them feel like, you know, yep. they got it's upgraded important. and they're on the red carpet and every interaction that they're having during the course of their relocation. So, That's um, and then uh, one final piece on the tech, you know, so every transferee that we relocate, you know, this is their project management tool, right? <laughs> and so everything about their relocation um, and the updates and scheduling and, and so forth to be rendered on an app and make it easy and convenient and, you know, have the chat bots available for them or otherwise operators standing by. So that's where I say, you know, there's a lot of yeah. tech that goes into the business. Um, yeah, it's, that creates yeah. the experiences or the analytics or the, you know, uh, frankly, the ability to know what good is. And the client defines what good is, but to then right. be able to render, you know, you expected this and these are the key data points or the key performance indicators that we've performed against. Let me ask you about uh, COVID before we get to uh, run out of time. Um, what did it do? I mean, did it, did it, I mean, I'm assuming 2020 was not an exceptional year for you. I'm assuming it was down a little bit versus 2019. Maybe not. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you know, what, give me this kind of the short overview of what did it do for you? what did you guys do to fight through it? If you want to chat about that for a minute. Sure. Um, I'll start with, uh, you know, I was in London near the end of February of 2020, and I was about to go from London down to India, where we were opening an office in India on March 10th of 2020. <laughs> and I'm in London, and I'm riding the tubes, and I'm hearing, you know, on the BBC, how Italy and Spain are blowing up with this cases of, at the time, you know, the Wuhan virus. And, um, and so I just decided, oh, my Gosh, you know, first of all, I'm probably going to get this darn Wuhan virus just riding the tubes in London. <laughs> Secondly, you know, it's inappropriate for me to go down to India because quite possibly I could get stuck down there. So I came home. Okay. I'm home for about 10 days, of course, meeting with our team. We had a normal global town hall scheduled for March 12th. And on the evening of March 11th is when they canceled the final four basketball tournament and the NBA and the NHL and all of that. And you know, that was almost like a 9-11 moment, I think, for anybody a little bit, watching yep. or paying attention. It you know, it's like, oh, my yep. gosh, our world is just like yep. changed instantly. We don't know how or why or what is next. But all of a sudden, major disruptive force, right? Mm -hmm. So 
came in the office that next day, March 12th, and scheduled to do the town hall. And I got together with our chief talent officer, chief financial officer, and chief operating officer. And we had this lovely deck that we had prepared and talking about the performance of we finished 2019 and we're off to a record start in 2020 and you know charts and graphs and all that happy stuff and new announcements about you know the india office and blah 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 and we just uh, looked at each other that morning um kind of stunned uh, certainly scared and i just said guys this deck will never see the light of day let's just pull up some chairs let's you know basically be authentic and say, look, here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Here's what we're going to do to find out about what we don't know. Um, and we're human and, and, and we're scared too, but we're all in this together. And there's no benefit for us to conceal any information from any of you. No. We um, will find a way. We'll find a way to get through this as unscathed as possible. So then the real hard work began because, you know, it's all about people and you don't want to, you know, like just have a, a bloody day or yeah. a string of bloody days. Right. So yeah. we began by kind of scenario planning, modeling out different um, scenarios. We knew like business from North America to South America or Asia or vice versa or Europe. We knew that that was going to get hammered. Okay. For how long? Who knew, right? And so even in the U.S., we knew that business would get hammered because most of them, uh, the real estate agents couldn't show housing and, you know, banks were just figuring out how to go uh, off premises. And so, you know, what would the speed of mortgage um, applications get approved? And and so there were just so many things we didn't know, right? And right. So, you know, you model out, okay, what if we had a 70% reduction of revenue for six months? What if we had a 50% reduction for six months? And we really only took it in that first six months increment and said, you know, what can we do to get us to October 1st? Um, and, you know, your CFO, your CFO, he loved he or she, they loved running those reports. <laughs> well, some of them were downright scary, right? Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. And, so yeah. then, you know, gosh, it's kind of like throwing a dart at the board and we said, yeah, <laughs> Basically, yep. we planned about a 70% drop for 90 days, okay. coming back to a 50% drop after 90 days. And then in the fourth quarter of 2020, being like a 25, 30% drop. So we saw that bottom was, of the come back. That we was probably a pretty good guess. I'm going to guess that was a pretty good guess. It actually worked out pretty well. Um, you know, we wound up exceeding our original 2020 profit plan. Okay. Um, but we got there in a way different way. You know, it'd be like playing golf and, you know, like putting one in the woods and then chipping back to the fairway and hitting over the green into a sand trap, but then holding the, pulling out the shot from the sand trap and you made par. Good analogy. Um, Love that one. One of the things That's that good. saved us were, you know, there was about $3 million of travel expense that we didn't consume in yep. the, Yep. final nine months of 2020 that was built into our budget mm -hmm. um so the reason we beat our plan we we organized ourselves to execute the business we had coming in as efficiently as possible everybody took pay cuts we had about a 10 percent reduction in force early on okay um, but uh you know, the team was very willing to to preserve as many jobs as possible by taking pay cuts. Okay. And um, so by the time we concluded 2020, we were amazed and relieved. that Wow, crap. great job. Great job. We Bobby. actually outperformed our original plan. And, and another part that helped us was we actually had our best year of new business development in our history. And that's nothing we could have totally anticipated at the start, but it was a function of just the want to in, in our business development leadership team and, and the individuals out there trying to attract clients. Um, and the want to was this, the events of COVID and people being stranded in certain locations and the impairment of certain services to be able to be performed, like the real estate listing agent or 
you know, maybe somebody getting an area tour in a given country or a given city, you know, some of that stuff was viewed non-essential. Mm-hmm. In most instances, moving was viewed an essential service. So the moving side of the equation could go. I see. But not necessarily, you know, getting an area orientation or doing a language training or doing mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. cross-cultural training was viewed essential. So long story short, um, our business development people said, you know what, if there are flaws in our competitors' performance, they're going to be magnified. So we have to figure out this tool called Zoom and (laughs) find ways to get customers' attention. And so rather than trying to book like half-hour or one-hour meetings that you might want to do on an in-person basis, they would just try to set up a 10-minute or a 15-minute check-in and kind of like a quick cup of coffee, you know, how you doing, what's going on with your right. family, you know, any challenges you're having at work that, that we can assist you with. And other than that, all right, we'll see you in, you know, another month or so. We wound up having over 800 virtual sales meetings from April 1st to December of 2020. And normally we would have had about 400 in-persons. How about that? Now that's got to change some of your behaviors moving forward, right? Wouldn't you I mean, I'm assuming you're looking at what used to be your travel budget. And now you're like, well, wait a minute, hold on. If we can close that many sales using Zoom, we don't necessarily have to have the same airline expense this next year, right? I'm guessing. That's presumed, but then what's the ratio of them? And that's all going to be discoverable. So as it gets to business planning, you know, part of the messaging is we're going to plan conservative to keep the controls somewhat in place. But we do recognize that it is beneficial for people to get back in in-person contact. So we don't really want to tie people's hands and say there's no travel, but we yeah. want to have the budgets lean enough so they have to think. Um, <laughs> gotcha. Perfect. And, and in yeah. the past, maybe they wouldn't think. It was assumed, you know, hey, I can right. hop on any flight. I've got a justifiable series of appointments and, you know, I can stay at the Hyatt as opposed to staying at Holiday Inn Express or, you know, whatever the case might be. And Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I think I, some uh, of those behaviors are going to be just, had a reality check, which is okay. Yeah, I think that's okay. Yeah, I think a nice balanced approach there is good. Is good. I remember our own uh, American Express bill after the first few months of COVID. I got the American Express bill, and I'm like, wow, I haven't seen a bill this small in a long time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, congratulations on, I mean, what a great success story for you and your, your leadership team uh, to fight through that, make the adjustments you made, come out of it beating your profit goal for 2020. That is a major win for you and your team. Uh, the the adjustments you made, the pivots you made, I think the forecasting that you did early on, kudos to whoever was in that meeting saying, hey, I think 70% down the first few months. And I mean, great job. Congrats on that. Really, really nice job from, from your yeah. leadership well, team. That was a team effort. You know, there was no fist pounders. It was a lot of you know, questions, here's how I feel, or I'm saying that in a pluralistic, you know, like people would get together and say, well, because of this indicator or this indicator in my discipline, this is how I would feel about that. Or, you know, such and such. Um, We tried to get as much voice of the customer woven into it, but of course they didn't know. Uh, (laughs) They didn't have any sense of reality, you know, based (laughs) on data or directive in their own organizations. They were all in shock and awe as well. I think we're rounding. I think we're rounding a corner now. At least it feels like we are. I, I like to think. I'm not. Hey, I'm not an expert on. I mean, shit, you know, every time I make a prediction on something, uh, you know, with this stuff, I'm I'm usually wrong. So, but I feel like we're rounding a corner. I don't know. Maybe I just want to feel that way. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I uh, think you know. Certainly, um, as a society. Uh, I think we're all feeling that, right? And the ability to go out and whether you want to go to a concert or a football game or a restaurant, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the fear uh, of, of not knowing how you can contract this virus yeah. or its severity. You know, I think some of the things we're learning is those who are unvaccinated are really the ones that are occupying the hospitals um, yeah. at this point in the game. Yeah. And I think economies are realizing, you know, there's a certain cost any disease in our society has on our economy, but we've seen what a massive 
adverse impact on economies um, the pandemic had, but whether it's case count or whatever, um, to a degree, I think politicians as well as citizens are willing to accept some of those trade-offs a little more than they did initially. I think, and, uh, I think football stadiums being full is a sign of that. I use yeah. that. I use that. When I see 80,000 people in football stands, I'm like, okay, I, I, that, that's a sign. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just I flew back from Los Angeles and I've started to do a little bit of domestic U.S. travel here recently. And uh, to me, the, the telltale sign of when it's over is when you don't need to wear a mask on the airplane or in the yeah. airport or yeah. Yeah. in some of the states. If you go to an inside, you know, store or a shop yeah. or something like that. I don't know when that's going to be. I think the masks on airplanes and in airports will probably be with us through much of 2022, but hopefully not. Yeah. But, uh, uh, well, you'll have to deal with that. I've, unfortunately, I don't have to fly a bunch these days, but I know you guys have to a bunch. Um, Bill, final question. I know we're out of time and you've been so wonderful. And thank you for sharing your story. Really a tremendous story from a family and business perspective. I could talk to you for another three hours, but I know we're out of time. At this stage in your life, at the age of 60, you're about to be grandparent for the first time. By the way, have you decided if you're going to call yourself Papa, Grandpa, what, what have you decided? No, you're still okay. I came up last night. That'll organically come out. We'll okay. see when it happens. Okay. Um, at this stage, though, how would you define Bill's core purpose in life right now moving forward? if you had to put that into a sentence? Uh, well, there's probably two things. One, I have a duty to make sure that our bench strength and leadership um, is being established that um, it goes on without me, right? Mm -hmm. um, in that it's, and, and we've done a good job for a long time with this, but to be a value-centric and customer-centric organization that understands its business, that can be profitable so it can reinvest in its future, right? So, um, but mm -hmm. more specific to your question, so it's to make sure we got the right talent in, in the organization, we've got the right developmental, scalable, you know, it's a global business now, right? So it's not just yeah. dealing with people in the U.S., Right. And but to make sure we're an attractive employer in, in our various Asian locations, an attractive employer in the various European as well as U.S. And the whole employer value proposition is changing dramatically all over the world in terms of right. what do employees want to get out of their relationship with their employer? Mm -hmm. We know that there's a bit of mm, less like loyalty or Tenure expected in the new generations of, of workers with an employer. Yes, but there is. Our job is to make our employment brand and environment one that is, is counter to those trends, that we are a talent magnet. We are a place that, you know, great people choose to work and identify with what their being or purpose or why is and how it's complementary to apply that inside our organization. So that's good. Um, that's good I guess stuff. If you will, that's what I'm trying to accomplish. And it's not measured by dollars or employees or, you know, it's, it's preparing that culture for a next 30 years. And some of those workers are already in our organization. And so at some point, maybe they'll look back when I'm dead and gone and go, yeah, man, I studied with that guy or I, I remember him. And, <laughs> you know, that those are the things that people latch on to. Um, so in summary, Steve, I would say the what's of our organization have and understandably will change over time. But who we are, what we value, and why we choose to do what we do all kind of come from the same root. So, and as long as that's understood and embraced and, and valid, um, mm. then hopefully I'm leaving the business in good hands for the next generation to come through. And they may or may not want to be, you know, the absolute leaders. They, they see what 
a challenge it is to be a CEO or a president. <laughs> um, and they're smart enough to know that, you know, if that's not really their calling or if they're not really good at it, they're probably the beginning of the end. And they have enough humility that way to say, you know, there's better people to lead and run this company in its entirety on a global basis, serving, you know, 200,000 families a year. I'd be stupid if I tried to pretend I could run that in 10 years, right? <laughs> They're smart enough to know that. That's and good. so that'll find its level water too. Bill, great stuff. Inspirational story. Thank you so much for being on the RiderFlex podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. And hopefully there's some positive takeaways that some of your audience can do to help make their organization better. And as a byproduct of that, make the world better.